0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It is what is it? It is Friday, the sixteenth of January, two thousand and fifteen. It is episode number fifty-three of the It's a Monkey Podcast. It is the first episode of the new year. Um, Thanks for joining us. We love having you. Please uh, follow us on Twitter, Monkey Podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Send us an email. We love hearing from you. Uh, the numbers have been climbing nicely. So uh, thank you for all your support. With me today, I have one of our regular co-hosts, Chelsea Plowright, who is a senior account manager at Mellon Media, which is uh, Managed Flitter's sister company. Managed Flutter, of course, I'm the CEO and co-founder of. Managed Flutter helps you work smarter and faster on Twitter. Go check it out if you haven't already. Chelsea, hello. Hey,
1: <laughs> Kevin. You know, you said... Um that intro so quickly you could have wrapped it.
0: Yeah, I'm. i I'm. Uh, I'm not a rapper. Um, <laughs> we have Chelsea. We have a great show set up today. The episode number fifty-three. As usual, we're going to talk a little bit about the news, but um, we got a fantastic interview coming up um, with Ileana Montauk. Who's heading up a program, a startup accelerator? Now we, lo- we talk a lot about startup accelerators in Silicon Valley, and Sydney, in Silicon Valley. There's or oh, in the US, there's some very famous ones like Y Combinator. But Iliana's uh, involved in a startup accelerator in Gaza, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Gaza, of course, is that complicated but tiny, tiny piece of land um, in between, sandwiched in between Israel and Egypt. That I was just looking at the Gaza Wikipedia entry before the show, and um it's been managed by gosh probably five or six different countries over the last one hundred to two hundred years um egypt israel um, um, britain the the Ottoman Empire which is now turkey and uh, so it's um it's it 's really a a, a a fascinating um piece of land at the at the best and uh, of course it's been involved um, in in some wars in the region but we'll talk a little bit more about that about the gaza startup accelerator um, but starting out we talk about the news as usual um a couple as always lots lots in the news bitcoin bitcoin has hit um, an all-time low it was the worst performing currency in 2014 um, It's lost in the last 10 days 26% of its value alone. Um, It's had all sorts of... um, Some of the exchanges have had issues. Um, There's all sorts of things going on with Bitcoin. I'm actually just looking at the Bitcoin to US dollar conversion rates in front of me at the moment. And Bitcoin peaked in about January 2014 at about $1,060 for a Bitcoin. And it is now... Um, $177 for a Bitcoin. So you <laughs> work out that...
1: You're looking at about 10%. Um,
0: you're looking at um 90...
1: Yeah, well, it's now worth, it's, sorry, it's 10%, 10% of its initial of its value. Previ- of
0: its previous value, mm. yeah. So it's, it's really cratered, um, the, the Bitcoin price. Of course, Bitcoin, very technical technology. Some people call it programmable money, cyber currency... Um, Always important to remember that there's two aspects of Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin, the platform, and there's Bitcoin, the currency. And they're quite separate from each other. If you think back to the early days of the Internet, which you probably were too young to remember, but there were things, you know, saying like, um, if, for instance, email and the Internet were called the same thing, it would be very confusing. Email Mm. sits on top of the Internet, and you can do other things with the Internet. Bitcoin the currency and Bitcoin the platform, sort of like that. You can do other things with the Bitcoin platform. It's a distributed platform of trust. We won't get into all the technicalities because it is quite technical. It's still very early days and low level. But Bitcoin the platform, in my opinion, is here to stay. There's going to be a lot of innovations on top of that platform. But Bitcoin the currency, not quite sure what's going to happen with Bitcoin the currency as is proven uh, by the big price drop. And, of course, one of the issues is when the price drops, these people that, quote, unquote, mine Bitcoin, because it's not physical mining, mm. it's, it's um, you know, digital mining, it's suddenly not worth it anymore for them to mine because mining takes a huge amount of electricity and power. Um, I'm reading from an article which we'll put up um, The strategy of mining has become Bitcoin's Achilles heel. The design of Bitcoin dictates that the difficulty of mining will increase as more Bitcoins are produced and more miners get involved. So as there's more Bitcoins, mining gets harder. This has led to mining being dominated by companies that can scale to the point where they can guarantee to earn a certain percentage of Bitcoins created each day. As Bitcoin's value has dropped, the economics of the mining operation have changed to the point that mining ceases to be economically viable. So um, interesting technology um, and of course a lot of people just were saying bitcoin the currency and the platform is the future but um, it's, it's an important time for bitcoin
1: if you had invested a substantial amount of money into bitcoin where would you, what would you do in a position right now
0: well firstly i think if you've invested a substantial amount of your relative wealth in Bitcoin—not your nominal wealth, but in your relative wealth—I think you're crazy, personally. <laughs> Anything more than five percent of your your actual wealth, um, yeah. Look, I don't—I don't know. It's—it's all very—it's—it's all very, it's, it's all very um, risky. There's all legislative challenges. The Australian government last year declared Bitcoin an asset class. Um, you know not not a current not a, not a traditional sort of currency, which there 's all tax implications, etc mm. um, but um, you know the the smart people in the valley, like people like Mark Andresen, who 's one of the smartest people if you 're looking for someone fascinating to follow on twitter mark Andresen's I would say if he 's one person, you follow on Twitter. Um, it should be me. If there's two people you should follow on Twitter, it's me and Mark and Drayson. How's your Twitter followers coming along, by the way? It's
1: up. It's pumping up with the of managed uh,
0: how, how many are you up to? Let me have a look. I
1: think it's around the 600s.
0: You're still under 1,000. Someone like someone like you with, with interesting things to say. 612.
1: There you go. It's gone up.
0: It's gone up, but... Yeah, we should look at your RAM rules on manage Flutter. See if we can we can get you.
1: I believe I'm targ- I'm targeting people who have design in their bio, and I've I've geolocated that to Sydney.
0: Right. And how many are you following a day?
1: I have set a limit to twenty. Don't want to come across as spammy.
0: You can probably push it more than twenty.
1: I could, but. I'm um, already. If you look at my following, if you, have you seen my following? I'm up. A, I'm up around the limit, so right. I don't think I can actually <laughs> technically uh, right. follow but anymore. You, but
0: you should unfollow those people that aren't following you back. But
1: there are some interesting ones, and I don't yeah, want to unfollow them and be like, oh, I could have missed out on some really good tweets.
0: Yeah, but you can unfollow some of them.
1: But you just never know what they're going to be tweeting, and it's just like you the don't sense want fear of missing, of missing
0: out. Missing out fine well if you're listening to the show please follow chelsea this is like a do a charity follow you know you don't even have <laughs> well, we to like what you about treat
1: philanthropy on this podcast quite a bit so i think <laughs> <the>
0: so chelsea's <laughs> twitter account is chelsea comedy. spelt with the c for charlie um chelsea p but, but my
1: name is spelt different it's c-h-e-l-c-i-e that's what
0: i said chelsea with the c in the middle
1: but how are they gonna know about the i and the e <laughs>
0: Okay, well, Chelsea, follow Chelsea, and let, let's try get her up to 1,000.
1: Come on, guys. We can crowdsource my Twitter following.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, six, 600. Yeah.
1: All right, where are you sitting at?
0: I'm sitting at 4,007.
1: How long have you been on Twitter, though? Oh,
0: I have been this. on Twitter.
1: For eight years. You
0: joined 2011. Um, let's have a look. I joined Twitter 2008. And I've got 4,008 followers. But I've been sitting around the 4,000 mark for ages, mm. like probably about even a year or something. It just hasn't My been good. But I haven't been doing, um, I haven't been sort of, you know, yeah. a- actively following others or that. <laughs> <laughs> no, just I, kidding. I haven't been building up intentionally. You know, there are ways to, to build up as you are doing, you know, to sort of work your account more. I haven't really been been doing that. My
1: only uh, concern with growing my account is I don't want to disappoint people when they follow me. So I've got, you know, 4,000 followers and there's kind of this horrible expectation. I've got a little bit of um, of fear there that they're like, oh, you know, this is such a letdown. And some people are, you know, I almost want to go back to account zero and just start all again, start fresh. You can do that. I know I can, but, you know, there's just a lot of – you've got to be careful. You gotta be careful about who you you know unfollow because it's political yeah you just they're, they're hard to find like there's some real good ones that i found
0: yeah no it takes look i mean you know one of the reasons why on managed flitter we've, we've allowed people where they can um, download their followers and followings and
1: for reference for
0: reference mm. if um you know if their account gets hacked and pe- they, all their followers are deleted or twitter crashes or who knows what y- y- you know? I mean, yeah, my followers. I've curated my list quite carefully. I've got one public list there called Startup, mm. which is just a fantastic list of VCs and entrepreneurs. And um, it would be a pain to rebuild that list. It's yeah. it's years and years worth of building it. So, yeah. you know, it's a really nice curated list. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I still enjoy Twitter a lot. I still still my favorite social media network. I still get a little bit bored with others. Twitter and Facebook.
1: I prefer Twitter, particularly with all the um, worldwide events um, and you know the series of events that recently happened in France. My brother was actually in France uh, at the time, and the first platform or media platform that I went to was Twitter. Um, and, you know, there's there's the news, but the news sort of waffles a little bit. It's not very direct, um, and I feel like with Twitter, you're constantly getting really, really up to date information. Um, which is you can just completely filter out the relevant and non-relevant stuff but with the news you're kind of just sitting there waiting for ah, something look, to look. Look, i told. think
0: i think tv news yeah it's not one of my favorite sources i've always been a fan of newspapers and where you can sort of choose what you want to read mm. and then twitter's a little bit like that where you can target a time a time is our most precious resource you know and we just every day we have to treat it like like liquid gold and just be so mindful about where we and you're sitting watching tv and you can't direct it and you know sometimes it's it's relevant for live tv but um anyway that's bitcoin so uh, hopefully we'll chat more about bitcoin this year it's um i'm very intrigued by it and as i said um you know mark andresen and some of these these super 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 smart people in the valley are just backing it and they're backing it hard and with mm. their money, you know, they've invested in all sorts of Bitcoin startups. Um, and these, you know, Mark Andreessen was the founder of Netscape. Essentially, he created sort of together with Tim Berners-Lee. Tim Berners-Lee was the guy who invented um, HTML and essentially. Wow. And Mark <laughs> Andreessen invented the browser. And so, you know, Mark Andreessen's a, a very, very smart um, guy and, and they, um, and Mark Andreessen's very much, and his partners at his, his firm, Andresen Horowitz, are very much backing Bitcoin. Not to say that these guys always get everything right, because mm. uh, um, that's the exciting thing about our industry, is that um, we get a lot, um, you know, no, there's so many factors in it. There may be another technology tomorrow that comes up and just knocks it out the water. Um, that's Bitcoin. What else is in the news? Facebook. Facebook's always in the news. Um,
1: Maybe we should read... <laughs> rename this podcast to to facebook
0: well we could almost rename it to social media update i mean we talk a lot about twitter facebook but we talk a lot about other things as well so um, um, facebook announced that um, their facebook for work they 've launched a uh, We spoke about this previously on the podcast. Facebook unveils Facebook at work, lets businesses create their own social networks so one of the things that they 've obviously identified is people sit on Facebook and social media networks at work, which we do, and sometimes because we 've got Facebook pages which we manage sometimes because we chat to other people and they 've identified this and so they 've um, the, uh, According to TechCrunch, the product is now officially coming to light, and today the the company is launching the new iOS and Android apps called Facebook at Work. I haven't tried; I didn't have a chance to try and download it. I did. It's
1: s- not available to the US Australia. It's only in the US at the moment. Apparently. Right. I, I had a, I had a go, and I got this uh, the warning message saying it's not available in Australia yet.
0: Okay, well it'll come soon, probably. I mean, I did someone uh, interestingly a Twitter account called um, relating to Facebook at Work. Followed me overnight and they've only followed a few people. It's called Facebook at Work at FB at Work. And they followed me and someone asked them, Is this an official Twitter account? And they said for Facebook at Work, and they said yes, but they're not part of the product team, they're part of the marketing team. And they tweeted out a link to apply for Facebook at Work, and I applied for the web version and I applied for it now. Facebook at Work, the aim of Facebook at Work is to really help with productivity, provide a platform and a tool to help with day-to-day productivity, similar to Yammer, similar to Slack. We use, I mean, Yammer is very, very much core of our Mm. Melon Media and our our managed Flutter operations. Slack, which is a sort of Yammer equivalent, is doing very, very well. And Facebook have uh, want to get in on the the sort of enterprise work side of things. Interestingly, the person behind Facebook at work is a developer called Lars um, Rasmussen. Lars is a Australian slash I think Swedish or Danish or Dutch guy that was based um, that developed Google Maps, mm. and f- and Google then bought. Um, this company it wasn't called Google Maps at the time Google then bought this company and turned it into Google Maps and it was based out of Australia and and then Lars was involved with um, a product called Google Wave which um, was sort of a mixture between email and a mixture between email and um, social media networks and it was quite an interesting product never got any adoption and they mothballed it they shut it down And then um, Lars then got poached, so to speak, by Facebook and left Sydney. And now I see this has been his project, Facebook at Work. So um, I'm sure they've targeted this as a potential very, very big area of growth.
1: Mm. I was having a read of um, an article and my only concern is that it's going to sort of... Bec- there's been talk that you can uh, switch between your Facebook social account and your Facebook at work. And my concern is that I'm going to be distracted. And you say it's, uh, that the purpose of Facebook at work is to improve productivity, but my concern is I'm going to get distracted from you know, my accounts and maybe be um, more encouraged to be on my social account over my you know, um, as opposed to just not being on it at all.
0: Well I think if they I think what they should do is allow you to be on both at the same time in one place I think.
1: Well that's what they will essentially allow but as I'm trying to say is that I'm going to be tempted to to pull over into my social stream and be distracted because my social stream is full of um, not only ads but like interesting articles from BuzzFeed not so interesting articles from BuzzFeed viral videos and they're so addictive and you do get this addiction to, to seeing the next big funny thing or the next um, viral video.
0: Yeah, look, I think um, I think they'd have to get that right. I agree with you. They You'd like to p- sort of put it in work mode that maybe you yeah. can configure.
1: They would. They would absolutely provide yeah. some sort of settings to ensure that, you know, you can switch off or deny access to... S- particular you know notifications
0: exactly when you're in work mode maybe this because a a lot of my facebook feeds work articles that i like that i'm happy to see during the day in any case yeah and then maybe a few updates from a few of of close friends but some other stuff like um you know all my social stuff and events and all of that i'm really not interested in seeing during the day Mm. Uh, they'll they'll get it right and you know continue to remain very impressed by facebook and what they do um
1: It'd be great if they can, I can see that it's isolated to your company. So you have your company profile and then you have everyone within that company on your your Facebook at Work account. But if they can integrate a similar sort of uh, network to LinkedIn where everyone has their Facebook at Work professional profile where you can actually network in that environment. Um, LinkedIn's great, but I think there is some functionalities which I think Facebook will dominate.
0: Well I think LinkedIn should be scared because mm. um I mean James always laughs when I say this but I, I I'm not a fan of LinkedIn. To LinkedIn people sort of tolerate LinkedIn I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think people... Lo- I don't think anyone really loves LinkedIn.
1: Well, it's just continuously clunky. Like, even on my phone, the amount of times where I will be loading LinkedIn... Yeah. ...or I'll receive emails, which is great. And, I'm, and they really, really push their notifications. Even, like, meaningless notifications. Like, Chelsea's had her work anniversary for her one year. And it's like, well... They've, uh, they've
0: upped that, yeah. Over the last year, they they upped that. You can just switch all of those off.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. It's something that I've got on my to-do list. But even when I do click through, w- not only will they ask for a password, but often the site breaks, so you'll just get like a static site of plain black and white text, and yeah. I have to continuously refresh. Just completely pulls away from the whole experience.
0: LinkedIn's always been a little bit clunky. I mean, I think they've improved a lot, uh, but it's still, still a little way to go. And um, look, the good thing, for LinkedIn is that they, in, you know, the good thing about the enterprise market is people pay money. So <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn was making money from from way in the piece. But Facebook, Facebook, if they get it right and they be there's Facebook for business, you know, makes a lot of sense mm. as well. If you're listening to this podcast and, um, you know, you're not using something like Yammer or Slack uh, or one of these these. Um, you, you know, sort of internal social media networks in a way is what they are. I really recommend it's, it's something that you should look at, including in your organization because uh, they add a lot of value. They take away, they remove a lot of friction mm. and they remove a lot out of the inbox as well, which is really good. And um, it's, it's definitely a tip to to give it a try. Um, we've, for years, it's just been a core part, and particularly with the distributor team. But even not, a lot of people, when they come to our office, they, they, you know, like Jimmy, uh, uh, um, our hippie bookkeeper who's in his 70s, he always comments on how quiet we are. No one talks to each other. I say, we are. We're always talking to each other. It just happens to be on Yammer and Skype, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, and he just sort of, for him, it's just, wow, you guys never communicate. Well, mm. we do, you know. It's just in a scalable way where we can have a lot of conversations at once. Um so I'm I have applied for this Facebook at business see if they um see if they activate me. Um yeah, look, it's one of those things that it's hard just to come in late in the game, but sometimes you can get it right and we'll see what um Facebook what Facebook um will do.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that was a direct question <laughs> to me. <laughs> that's sure that's saying. that's
0: what's known in radio as dead air. <laughs> Do you know in radio stations often when they they've got a dead air alarm and actually um there's an alarm that goes if it's dead air in the commercial radio stations because that's what they don't want to ever have. So it's it's a technical issue or something. If, if on the broadcast channel, if there's nothing coming up. Wow. Yeah. There's and then dead.
1: if it's just like a dud radio host, then <laughs> you're gone the next day.
0: Exactly. Um, anyway, that's the news. We'll put some show notes up to Bitcoin and its uh, continuing price falls unmasks, its underlying flaws. Is this the end? And also about Facebook um, for business. This is episode number fifty-two,
1: three. Have to be up. In the, it's definitely in the fifties because I remember we celebrated the fiftieth episode not not long ago. So we're up to fifty-three.
0: So this is you listening to episode number fifty-three of the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to the tech economy, social media, startups, etc. Um, tweet us email us if you want a shout out Um, we'd like to start doing more of this this year if you want to comment on the show you go to itsamonkey.com and you can comment on the show get some discussions going and um, you can also subscribe on itunes so it just pops it in i use a android podcast app called podcast republic i think it is Um, that's really great because i'm a big podcast listener
1: I love watch, uh, listening to my podcasts on the bus When everyone looks so miserable And um, you know It's so nice to have someone just It feels like someone's chatting to you the whole time
0: Well that's always been the thing about radio I mean even in the day before podcasts Radio's big thing always used to be the intimacy Yeah You know I grew up uh, in, in a city that um, Wasn't the most exciting city in the world for kids And I used to listen to radio a lot And um, you know it was it's, it's like yeah Someone chatting to you in the bedroom So uh, that's what the thing about podcasts and I I like the fact that uh, I like to see our our podcast numbers that people are sitting and listening to us and I like getting the feedback and it's great podcasts are becoming more and more, um, you know, popular. We try to put a quality podcast together. We try not, you know, I always try to keep the listener in mind and if you do. Have any if you are listening, and you have any ideas of what you'd like more of or less of, you know. Some people say you want it shorter. Some people say they want it longer. We're not going to please everyone in that aspect, but we're always absolutely open to feedback. Or, you know, spend quite a bit of time trying to find interesting guests, mm. um, and um, you know, it's been going for a couple of years now, episode fifty-three. So um, when we plan on sticking. I'd like to eventually make it weekly, even daily. But maybe if we have a producer, then you know, one day. Um, can get in, but at the moment, wants to be doing everything ourselves. Um, anyway, then we're going to take a short break, um, and then we're going to come back and going to talk to Iliana uh, Montak uh, from the the Gaza Startup Accelerator about um, startups in Gaza. Um, stay with us; we'll be back soon.
2: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. <coughs>
0: You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast. Kevin Garber and Chelsea Plowright, and it's the first podcast for 2015. The year is already rip-roaring ahead. Um, Now, it was very hard to miss last year. In in the middle of the year, there was uh, a a big war that happened in, in a very... Yeah, it's a tricky part of the world that's very complicated politics, etc. And something popped up on my Twitter feed a little while ago that um, Gaza, uh, one of the areas that was involved in this um, 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 unfortunate uh, situation actually has a startup accelerator happening in Gaza. Now that really astounded me because Gaza, I believe, is one of the, the poorest regions of the world. I myself have been to, to Israel many times, but I have not actually been to any of the um, the, the, the territories, so to speak. So I tracked down um, someone who's heading up this this accelerator in Gaza. And at the end of my Skype line, I have Iliana Montauk, who's the director at Mercy Corps, and uh, which basically runs this Gaza Sky Geeks Accelerator. Ileana, thanks very much for joining us today.
2: It's a pleasure.
0: Are you coming to us from where, Jerusalem or?
2: Yeah, today I'm in Jerusalem. I split my time every week between Gaza, Jerusalem and Ramallah. Uh, Sometimes I get to Tel Aviv as well. Um, And it's quite unusual, there's very few people who are able to come in and out of Gaza. So it's really truly a privilege to be able to spend about four days a week there. I can split my time as I wish. Um, I ended up splitting it that way just because I have work um, in both the West Bank and in Gaza, which as you might know are separated and most Palestinians can't go back and forth between them. So I'm one of the only people who can connect the startup movement in the West Bank with the startup movement in Gaza.
0: And of course, um, his, uh, people might, may not realize that even, even though these areas are quite separate and you can't travel between them, they actually are very close to each other, very, very close to each other.
2: Goodness, yes. If there were no checkpoints and no borders, the drive from Ramallah to uh, Gaza would be from my office to my office um, about one and a half or two hours max. Um, and uh, and those are pretty far away points in the West Bank and Gaza. There's points that are only about thirty minutes away from each other.
0: It is really. I, I don't think people that haven't been to the area realize how small this region where there's just so much heartache and so much complexity. Um, you know, and it's just the the epicenter of 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 so many challenges. But anyway, we're not we're not going we're not going to drill down into the politics. That's maybe for. For another day, but before we get into um, your Gaza Sky Geeks accelerator, um, I, I've just been browsing your LinkedIn profile. Now, um, I'm probably gonna embarrass you, but um, wow, Overachievers Anonymous, hello. Um, <laughs> if, I just tell you to uh, if you're listening to this podcast. Um, and you, you haven't sort of. I'll, I'll put the link up to Iliana's LinkedIn profile because it's quite remarkable. She's fluent in English, Spanish, Polish, Arabic, French, and Hebrew. Um, she's a personal coach of sorts. Worked at Google. Studied at Harvard. Fulbright scholar. It's like wow. It's. Um, I, I mean, obviously, all of this comes at very hard work. So I, I, I um, you know, congrats to you. It's, it's quite a remarkable profile.
2: Thank you. And just one correction, I'm not fluent in Hebrew. I'm very much struggling to start learning Hebrew and not doing a very good job of of studying because I'm just so busy running the accelerator that I haven't been able to dedicate much of my time to language studies. But what brought me here in the first place uh, to the region was language geekiness to start with. I was a language geek growing up. I actually can't really credit that to myself or or to any talent. It's thanks to my parents. Um, They brought me up speaking three languages from the very beginning. Um, But I decided to study Arabic when I was in high school before September 11th, um, which was pretty unusual back then. Um, And that's what originally brought me out to the region. And it was only when I graduated from college that I kind of almost randomly ended up at Google and fell in love with the tech sector, which I'd never really been a part of before, um, and then was trying to figure out a way to bridge my interest in the Middle East with technology and with making the world a better place, which is how I ended up at Gaza Sky Geeks.
0: Well, just one before I'll I'll let you go from your profile in a second, but there's one little piece that I found quite interesting that um, you took multivariable calculus. Now I've got a friend who's also a language geek, and she just oh, I swear, if I mention maths, I'm a bit of a maths geek, and when I mention maths, she just it's 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 you know it's like it's like eating lemons. So um, you, know, you 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 sort of cover the whole gamut there. That's quite uh, right, the range through to multivariable calculus.
2: Thanks. I can't say I loved it as much as I loved my Arabic class, but I managed to get through it. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, enough um, enough uh, stroking your ego for for a while, um, Eliana. Let, let's talk about um, the startup accelerator. Um, what's um, I mean, most most people listening, um, a lot of them are familiar with accelerators. There's famous accelerators like Y Combinator, um, and you know some famous um, you know American-based accelerators where where companies like, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, Companies like was Airbnb part of one of the accelerators, perhaps? But there's 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 some very famous graduates of some startup accelerators. So so tell us the 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 Gaza Geeks accelerator. I mean, it's 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 a complicated part of the world. What was the genesis? Who's behind it? What are you guys looking for? How can we help? Tell us the whole story.
2: Sure. The story of how the Startup Accelerator was founded is, in and of itself, really, really fascinating. Um, Google uh, played an integral role, as did Mercy Corps. Um, Basically, the way that it began was that Google was doing an outreach event in Tel Aviv and was... um, Uh, the, the staff who did the outreach event became really interested in seeing Palestine and they ended up organizing another outreach event in Ramallah and they discovered that it was the first time a large tech company of that sort was in Palestine and there was just an incredible thirst for uh, contact with Googlers. Um, so they ran an event that had over 300 people attend in Ramallah and, and they saw that there was a lot of talent um, and that that talent was untapped and very early stage um, uh, and clearly could be fostered. And they uh, became really curious about Gaza and wanted to go to Gaza um, to see if there was a similar potential there. Um, and there was just no way to get into Gaza because the borders are closed. Um, and so they ended up connecting with Mercy Corps, which is a large humanitarian organization, an economic development organization that has been working in Gaza very successfully for decades. Um, and Mercy Corps had actually already pinpointed the tech sector as one of the only ways to grow Gaza's economy um, because the borders are closed and you can't get um, equipment for, say, a factory in and out very easily. Um, Uh, What you do have is incredible opportunity because of really strong internet connections Um, and very high levels of education. So Gazans are amongst, or Palestinians in general, are amongst the most uh, educated in the Arab world. The literacy rate is 99%. Levels of tertiary education are very high. Um, People in Gaza especially are very well connected um, to the internet and to technology because it's one of their only ways of interacting with the world. So you know, when I got there, one of my biggest surprises was that everyone who comes to the accelerator has a better smartphone than I do. And literally even during the conflict, I had people in Gaza reaching out to me as they were being bombed. I was in the United States at the time. Um, They were reaching out to me asking me to buy them the newest uh, smartphones um, and bring them back with me um, so that they would have a way to be able to continue accessing uh, their, um, their email even when their computer batteries went down. Um, so I was anyway, quite, so
0: I was quite surprised mm-hmm. in reading that um, the literacy rate in Gaza is something like ninety nine point nine percent. Is that
2: is yeah, that right? yeah, it, I mean, exact, it is. It is, you know, and, I, I and I think a huge part of that has to do with the culture. The the right. the culture of the people is just very very focused on education, um, and uh, and I think part of what everyone experiences when they go to Gaza, and certainly what I've experienced, is that people there are just remarkable, so hardworking, so optimistic, so um, adaptable, and that's what's made me fall completely in love with working there, um, and with with the Startup Accelerator specifically, Um, and I think that's what uh, Googler saw, and what Mercy Corps saw, and what led to the beginning of all of this in 2011.
0: And um, so have there been, how many sort of, you know, um, rounds of, of uh, intake have there been and, um, you, you know, graduates of the program, any successes that, um, you know, are still going? Because, I mean, startups, startups at the best of times are, are very tough, very risky. Most of them fail. Have has there any that have sort of poked their head through and are self-sustaining and, um, you, you know, live to, um, live to, to, to go on?
2: You know, what's fascinating about this is that we're at the very, very beginning of it. So we just did our first round of investments um, uh, exactly a year ago. And in the that point of time, we invested in three startups. After that, there was one more investment. So there's been a total of four investments so far. Um, For the first two years of our existence since Gaza Sky Geeks was founded in 2011 with a generous grant from Google. um, From 2011 to mid-2013, we ran outreach activities to make sure that people even knew what startups were. So, for instance, one of our first startups to receive investment, um, uh, the CEO's name is Mariam. She's the first woman in Gaza to ever receive investment for a startup. She was a third-year computer engineering student. Um, at the top university in Gaza uh, in 2012 and had never even heard of a startup, had never even worked on a really independent project. Um, And uh, she heard of the Startup Weekend that we are running, which is our way of generating awareness. It's our big outreach and pipeline activity. Um, She heard Googlers were going to be coming and she went to the event, not because she knew what it would entail, but because she wanted to meet international experts. Um, And when she got there within an hour, she was pitching an idea. Um, By the end of the event, she came in second place, and she was so upset that she didn't win first place that she kept working on her idea ever after until she received investment for it. Um, So I think the success that we've seen so far is that even in a place where nobody has ever seen a successful tech company and nobody has even had exposure to a real private sector. In Gaza, there's only a few private sector companies that hire more than 10 people. Um, even in a place like this, people um, are being turned on to the idea of launching their own companies. They want to prove that Gaza has a lot to offer and to contribute to the world. And they're working on their ideas and, and they've received the first round of investment, which for us is a huge success, given the short timeline on which we've been working.
0: I'm probably going to ask you know, um, a slightly political question, I guess. you know, Israel is, is very, very famous for its startup culture, for its startup successes. I think the second number of listed companies on the NASDAQ exchange, I think, is Israel. I'm not sure if maybe, I um, don't know if China's maybe affecting that at all, but I know Israel is a massive number of listed companies. Has there been, I know there's, there's a real sort of, um, you know, gulf between politically and practically and, um, and, and, and trust issues, but is there, has there been any positive externality by Gaza being placed so close to to such a vibrant, um, you know, tech sector in Israel, and even even in Egypt. I mean, Egypt's a big economy. I don't think they're known for their tech sector, but I would imagine that there's a lot of technology, you know, just by virtue of the size of its economy there. And for for someone listening who's not totally familiar, I mean, Gaza's sort of sandwiched in between Israel and Egypt, two two successful uh, big economies in a way. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you, you mentioned that some of these people hadn't been exposed to any um, commerce and companies and things like that. It's, it, it surprises me being, you know, that it's in between two big economies and they haven't.
2: Yeah, it really, really speaks to the um, to the way in which politics affects individuals' lives and therefore business. Um, we actually have the easiest time working with Jordan, and our startups have spent more time in Jordan than in Israel or in Egypt, even though we don't actually border with Jordan. Um, so... Uh, one of the challenges in working in Gaza, and definitely the biggest challenge that our startups face, is that the borders are closed, and this isolates Gazans from the rest of the world. Um, For political reasons, um, you know, Gaza's government is Hamas. And in order to leave Gaza, you have to have both an Israeli permit if you're going through Israel and a Gazan permit, i.e. a Hamas permit, to exit Gaza. Um, It can be very, very hard even for individuals who are really interested in connecting with the Israeli tech sector um, for that to be particularly easy or feasible. Um, And uh, the border with Egypt is almost always closed. uh, During the year and couple months that I've been in Gaza, that border has only been opened for maybe a total of 14 or 20 days. Um, and, uh, and even then it's not open to just anyone who wants to cross through. Um, so our startups where we've been able to create a lot of success is that, um, Mercy Corps as a humanitarian organization has been able to receive permission to take our startups out of Gaza through Israel. And we've been able to take them to the West Bank and to Jordan. And this has really been a historical and pivotal moment for the startup sector in Gaza. Um, When we took our teams out, we took about 10 people out in 2014. Half of them were leaving Gaza for the first time in their lives. Um, for those of you who are based in the United States, maybe you're familiar with the San Francisco Peninsula in Silicon Valley. Gaza is literally the size of the peninsula it 's like from San Francisco to San jose um, it 's about five miles wide and five miles wide and twenty five miles long, uh, wide and miles long and most of these people had never been outside of it in their entire lives um, so what what we're able to do that we see is increasing the speed of the sector in Gaza the fastest is this kind of connection, both taking Gazans out and also bringing international experts into Gaza. And we're pretty much the only organization in Gaza that can create that kind of connection. Um, and for us so far, the easiest place to create that and one of the most important places to create that has been in Jordan um, because Jordan is considered one of the startup hubs of the Middle East. Um, and it's definitely one of the places that a Gazan startup, if, if it starts having traction, um, is going to need to open an office. And it's also one of the places where most of our investors are located.
0: And I believe. Um you know, Arabic is what? What number language in the world is it? It's about what seventh, sixth, seventh most spoken language in the world?
2: I am not sure, but what I know is that it's the fastest growing language on the internet right now.
0: Right. I, yeah, I would I would believe that. And um, so I think I think I read that um, that it was Google dot org that actually seeded um, the startup accelerator. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: So Google.org is the the philanthropic sort of entity of, of Google, who's uh, they invest in all t- types of philanthropic type of uh, projects. It's not, it's not actually Google itself, although obviously, I think they get all their money from the parent company, so it's one big happy family, I suppose.
2: Yeah, and it was really, really generous of them and, and quite a unique circumstance to receive a grant to spark the very beginning of an innovation movement in Gaza. Um, and uh, we stayed very closely in touch with Google since then. We're now a part of the Google for Entrepreneurs family, um, which is part of Google, the parent company. And, and uh, one of the wonderful things that they do for us is they connect us to startup accelerators and, and uh, other organizations working to promote uh, entrepreneurship um, around the world. So tell us this crowd,
0: um, Eliana, tell us this crowdfunding campaign that you got on at, at the moment. Um, I believe it ends in in a few days. And um, what exactly are you raising money for? How much do you guys have to go? Where you're at with it all?
2: Yeah, the campaign ends in a week exactly. Um, And we would absolutely love everyone's help making it a success. Uh, The URL is gazastarts.com. It's on Indiegogo, and that's gazastarts.com. And the goal of the campaign um, is to raise at least $250,000 so that we can keep the accelerator running in 2015. Uh, Our initial grant from Google has come to an end, um, and we're currently reaching out to larger strategic partners. Um, And because of the politics of the region, um, not everyone is able to engage their brand with entrepreneurship in Gaza. So even though our entrepreneurs um, at Mercy Corps Gaza Sky Geeks are launching startups just like entrepreneurs anywhere else in the world, um, sometimes companies or individuals hear the word Gaza and um, and, uh, aren't necessarily able to get involved. Um, And so the crowdfunding campaign was our way to get the word out there about the work that we're doing, about our entrepreneurs, and get people who are able to support us uh, joining as quickly as they can to make that possible um the campaign has already saved our co-working space so that we can just keep the co-working hub open with one startup coach there um, and right now we're fighting to keep our full staff which is just a modest total of three people um, and those people um, will be running our outreach activities in 2015 so that we can have another round of startups to invest in as well as continuing to support our current startups and hopefully if we can raise enough funds uh, take them on their first trips to Europe and the united states
0: should um see if you can bring them to australia as well i'm sure they i mean it's a little bit further unfortunately but um, um there's we can i can connect you with some um some accelerators here that i'm sure would would be happy to host if um you know if, if it all works out but I, I can send you some information about that
2: we'd love that and i have a call scheduled with someone in australia soon we've seen quite a bit of interest um on uh, the campaign so far from australia i think australia is in the top 12 donating countries
0: and um we'll we'll put all the um we'll we'll put all the links up there um, um on the on the show notes to the podcast so people will be able to to um donate um sort of as needed and um you know i think I think one thing I've noticed, and I grew up in South Africa, and it's and it's also had a lot of you know socioeconomic challenges, and and for me, there's very few intrinsic human qualities, you know, that we we don't sort of learn as we grow up. But but wherever I go, people want to be entrepreneurs. They want to build stuff. They want to create stuff. They want to. Um, solve problems it 's really you know what makes us so special about humans, and I think um, it really is the solution to a, a lot of socio economic problems so i think it's it 's really a fantastic initiative. I was personally very surprised and encouraged to see that such a program exists in, in such a tricky um, part of the world so um, um, any which way we can help um, you know we we 'd love to help and hopefully the Hopefully, the politics people um, you know people don't don't see an end to it. But I, I always remain hopeful that hopefully in our lifetime we will see we will see an end to the complicated um, politics that makes people across the board suffer so much.
2: You know, one thing that makes me so hopeful is that even with the circumstances as they currently are, startups and uh, entrepreneurship more broadly is a place where people can take their future into their own hands, no matter what's going on around them. Um, You know, the next Facebook could be invented from a place like Gaza. Um, And one of the reasons that I believe in this work so deeply and and have stayed um, is that uh, Places that uh, face a lot of challenges are often the cradles of innovation. Um, And I do believe that the next round of innovation will be coming from frontier markets like ours. And one of the things that makes me believe in that is the enthusiasm that we see in Gaza. We had over 600 people apply to our most recent startup weekend, which happened last June. And the event took place literally during the build-up to the most recent conflict. There were already 20 airstrikes um, and rockets a day. And we were able to hold the event despite that. Um, It was still in a kind of safe area in Gaza. Um, And we had international mentors coming from around the world. And they said they had literally never seen so much energy at any startup event that they had ever been to. Um, So that's one of the main reasons why we decided that even though the funding that had initially sparked all of this was ending, we had to find a way to keep growing this momentum.
0: What's the um, level of English like, um, excuse my ignorance, but what's the level of English like um, for the youngsters in Gaza?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, About... 40% of our entrepreneurs speak English quite fluently and are able to conduct business in English. Um, And about 60% uh, do not. And they actually started demanding English classes recently because um, one of the things that we've been... um, making sure to do is share articles about startups from around the world and a lot of these are only available in English um, as well as mentorship opportunities with English speakers and so we actually have a volunteer now running an English class at the accelerator itself um, so that our startups and people in our pipeline are able to improve their English uh, level accordingly.
0: Do they speak um, Hebrew at all?
2: Only the older generation speaks Hebrew, so for, for peop- people who might not know the background, um, Israel uh, Israelis uh, controlled or, or occupied or were in Gaza, um, within Gaza's borders, um, until about 10 years ago. Um, and so you had Israeli farms and things like that in Gaza back in the day, um, and also back during those times, Gazans were able to receive permits to work in Israel. Um, and so people in, in a kind of older generation uh, sometimes speak Hebrew because they used to spend, um, you know, years working in a place like Tel Aviv. Uh, but the younger generation has had absolutely zero contact with Israel um, and does not speak Hebrew. And they
0: and they can't get um, work permits to work in Israel anymore.
2: The border is almost entirely closed. The exceptions are for... Um, medical cases, so when people have diseases that they're not able to have addressed within Gaza and they're able to get permits sometimes to come into Israel for treatment. Um, And there's a small group of businessmen. Um, I don't know what the precise number is. I I think it numbers in the hundreds who have permits. to To exit Gaza for business purposes. Usually it's to pick up goods, Israeli goods, that are then sold in Gaza because almost everything that is purchased in Gaza is actually produced in Israel. Um, and, uh, and a group of Gazan businessmen exits every day to pick up those goods and drive them back into Gaza.
0: Not, a, uh, not, an, easy, not an easy situation. Um, uh, but um, look, it's... Uh, what you folk are doing are really good and um, let, why don't we catch up in a few months I'd love to hear the progress of, of um, you know some of the some of the startups and maybe if you can even um, you know if there's a particular startup where the English is um, you know podcast friendly uh, we'd love to chat to actually one of the entrepreneurs themselves and um, you know see and hear what they're up to.
2: Definitely. We might even be able to get a group of a few people together uh, for a kind of fireside chat if you'd like to do that.
0: That'll be really great. Ileana, um really appreciate the time um, um, you're taking to talk to us. I'm going to put all the details on the show notes and we'll put it in the email that goes out. Hopefully we can um, push a little bit of um, funding your way. And um, let's, let's um, you know, we, we have to have to focus on the good and contribute towards the good. A lot of a lot of um, the, the complexities in this world are a little bit out of our control, but there is there are some parts that are in our control, and we can just uh, to try to prop those up. And uh, I think this is one of these these great initiatives.
2: Thank you so much. There's you know people who are working in Gaza every day. I think often in the news all you see is rockets, but in fact uh, most of the time the situation is quite stable, um, and they would just love to connect with you and receive your support.
0: Appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us on, joining us on the podcast and um, good luck with the campaign. I hope you reach all your targets.
2: Thanks so much, Kevin.
0: Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast
1: is brought to you by ManageFlitter. Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial.
0: Clearly a, a very smart person, um, Eliana.
1: Yeah, she. Ought, people, we have a lot of really young, intelligent women um, on our podcast. And every time I always feel like I'm failing at life a little bit because this woman's, she, Eliana's She speaks three languages. No, from she
0: speaks more than three languages. Really? Yeah. I
1: thought it was. Oh no, it was Arabic, Polish, English, learning Hebrew.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll pull up a LinkedIn profile. Um, English, Arabic, Spanish, French, Polish, and learning Hebrew. Phenomenal. So that's one, two, three, four, five, and learning six. Six.
1: (laughs) I believe that once you learn two or three, and I'm not making this sound (laughs) like it's easy, but it does get (laughs) a little bit easier.
0: I don't know. And apparently there was an article that I read the other day about languages. Polish is the hardest language to learn because it's of its tenses and it's Mm. this and it's that. Mm. And it's apparently, you know. So um, anyway, um, but yeah, look, the the Gaza startup is... i found quite an interesting um story i mean i'm very like i think most people are very pro peace simple it's quite simple i mean i think there's a lot of innocent people that get caught up in, in in all of the conflicts and um you know um i think people most people want a better life for themselves it's a very 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 complicated part of the world mm. though i mean mm. you you, you can't even begin to understand the complexities until you go there. And even then, every day, you're discovering a new layer and a new nuance of the region. And that's why people that, you know, when people ask me a question about the region, because they know I've been there, they know I'm Jewish, and they say, you know, what do you think about it? Or they confront me about some, some controversial thing that they say. And I say, look, there's people a hundred times smarter than me that haven't been able to sort it out. I mean, how am I going to say anything that's going to be able to impart some wisdom? There's been every U.S. president and, um, you know, um, all sorts of, of Nobel Prize winners. Um, but there's a lot of people on the ground. They, they, want to, they want to build tech startups and they want to create stuff and they want to build a better life for themselves. And um, so anything that goes towards peace everyone's happy with. And Ileana did say that one of the biggest, um, you know, within the top 10 countries for this campaign is Israel. And a lot of Israelis, I know for a fact, because I talked to them, I visited, a lot of them just want peace Mm. and and they'll do whatever it takes. So I think if this results in... um, you know, startups and, and people being uplifted and jobs. Um.
1: Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be fantastic if something came out of this to help relieve the you know the pain and the suffering that's happening with the war and unite, you know, the youth of the of Israel and, and Gaza and Egypt. Um, if something came out of this particular accelerator, that would as directly result in, in peace and um, you know, in communication and understanding.
0: It'd be fantastic, you know, and it's possible. You know, the youth, the youth are, um, the youth of today are amazing. You know, they're exposed to all sorts of positive inputs. Um, you know, v- as I've mentioned, very tricky part of the region, Syria's very close by, and Syria's just all sorts of mess going on there. Interesting that you said Jordan is, is um, you know, the country that they they sort of land end up doing work with. And Jordan's quite stable. Um, Israel does have some diplomatic ties with Jordan. You can, and an Israeli go to Jordan, and you can fly to Jordan. Um, so they do have some diplomatic ties with Jordan. So uh, interesting that they are working with Jordan. I even think a managed flitter competitor um, might actually be based in Jordan. So that's quite interesting. So they may have some, you know, a, a bit of tech, the tech happening there. Um, interesting Google Ventures Google not Google Ventures Google Entre- Org Google, oh, okay. Google.org so I
1: thought it was to Google Entrepreneurs um. no it's
0: Google.org which is the philanthropic arm of Google have invested um, you know provided some seed money Google's got a, a, a pretty substantial office in Tel Aviv mm. um, and it's got some good engineering uh, coming out of there and as I mentioned Gaza is is Sandwiched between Israel and Egypt, two successful economies, and if the politics were taken aside, they could benefit from both. Um, Never been a sovereign state ever. Those you know, those territories, which is interesting. So, I be you know, I like the fact that they've kept this startup accelerator. They've they've. I can sense they've kept the politics out of it, so they tr- because it's not in their interests, mm, mm. you know, you and think it's that's they, very smart, you know, they're yeah. not m- trying to make any political statements about yeah. it, um,
1: and focusing energy for you know the benefit and the focusing on the the good. I think the, the the politics can just suck the energy out of some environments, um, so. And, it, and what's also great to see is it's, it's pretty even, even. You know, there's half women, half men, and people as young as 13 being accepted into to hackathons is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about the internet. You know, you've got access to the internet. You learn how it works. You can become a coder. You know with if you 've got the right aptitude and diligence, you can become a coder. Mm. Um, I have noticed myself you know apparently Eliana said that Arabic is the fastest growing language on the internet. I have noticed myself bubbling through into my Twitter feed from retweets and and things like that. I understand a little bit of hebrew but but no um, no Arabic. And a lot of, you know, the people are young in, in Gaza, very, very young, which in a way is a, a good thing because, you know, they can uh, they got the energy and the wherewithal. I was, you know, even though I'm so familiar with the region, probably more than than, than a lot of people, I, I was incredibly surprised to see the literacy rate was so high.
1: 99%.
0: Yeah, it's really unbelievable, you know, being knowing that it's a very are struggling, you know, economically, etc. that
1: be related to um, religion, reading the Bibles and reading... Probably,
0: probably partly. I mean, Ileana did mention it's a cultural thing, mm. you know, just like in the, the Jewish culture as well and, and some of the Asian cultures. Education is, you know, just so central. It's just mm. everything is about it. So, you know, and sounds like, like in Gaza as well. Um, so yeah um you know um if you are listening we we are going to push out this podcast while the crowdfunding is still going um we'll push it out um you know i think their crowd this is going to go out on friday sydney time i believe sunday sydney time it ends uh you know hop on if you want to make a donation um you know um and and help them out so if, if google.org saw it enough to support well you know I'm sure they got pretty solid due diligence in terms of um, their investments and uh, they they seem to be pretty legit and let's let's hope for you know wars wars miserable for everyone and um, you know th- and le- let us just hope that if in some way somehow it uh, takes the little uh, bit of the life out of uh, the, the 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 war energy and and into the peace energy um that that will be great but um yeah very very tricky part of the world but um anyway that is episode 53 next episode we've got a great interview coming up with um with the with with the financial analyst who, who wrote a terrific um, piece on Uber and why you shouldn't invest in Uber and i'm actually thinking of maybe Reaching out to Uber Sydney and see and and playing them the interview and seeing if they want to actually be on the show and talking about it.
1: I actually know some people in Uber Sydney. I'm so sure. I'm sure you do, Chelsea. On network.
0: One in two people in Sydney, Chelsea knows. That's probably about right, and she probably knows one in three people around the world as well.
1: What's going on with my Twitter following? <laughs> I don't think my friends are on Twitter in in Australia.
0: Maybe one day we can aim to have the show live at a certain time. Be really nice. And we can have people in a little chat room. That's what Jason Calacanis, he's a well-known entrepreneur. He, He does a similar show to this and they do it live. They also do a, they podcast it. But they they record it live and they got a little chat room and people chat to them while they're on the show.
1: Oh, that's that's fantastic. So, you know, so we could we basically we very rarely edit anything out of our podcast. So we could almost we could. do it live as we could. We just have to get a little
0: as a little bit more organized about it and we'd have to know how to feed this out live. That's the issue issue. Is how do we push this out either via YouTube or some other service so it actually goes out in real time. I'm not sure what server we'd have to patch it into. Some service. You'd have service. to do
1: it in some sort of like Google Hangouts or something. Something like that.
0: Yeah, that goes out live.
1: Skype. I'm not sure, but if anyone knows or if you know how to to do it, please tweet to us.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure it's um, possible. We just do a Google search, but I'd like that. I mean, I come from a background of live radio. you know, before the internet, the initial user-generated content of people calling in and and there's something about live radio and it'll be terrific we can even get people to Skype in with questions and um you know but um being a being a bootstrapped startup we've got to pick our battles we've got limited resources we are a small team um so we'd like to do many things but one of my jobs is choosing what to say no to and i have to say no to a lot because otherwise we just never make um you know progress in some of our core our core goals so that's episode number 53 we'd love to hear from you tweet us email us we're going to be back in two weeks talking about uber which at the moment is the startup that everyone loves to hate they're not a startup anymore they uh they've raised billions of dollars and apparently turning over 200 million dollars a year so oh, wow so they're doing, um, doing well, allegedly. But we'll talk about, uh, you know, why you shouldn't invest in Uber. Not that you can, unless you're a very rich person or you're an institution with lots of money. And they're not listed yet. But it's an interesting um, analysis. And um, follow Chelsea on Twitter. Let's see if we can get you up to 1,000. Oh. Uh, Come on. Be
1: hopeful. Depends how many people, you know, are listening.
0: We get. I'm it's not going to reveal to share, the stats, but uh, we up to
1: up to you to share the podcast with your friends and family and your network and to tweet.
0: Yeah, let's let's follow Chelsea. Uh, look, followers are just hashtag
1: fun. hashtag follow Chelsea. <laughs> charity,
0: charity hashtag follow. Get her to a thousand. Charity follow. Hashtag desperate. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, wrap up the self indulgent talk. Um, thanks for co hosting Chelsea. We will catch you in two weeks have a good week wherever you are in the world
1: see you